is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganye. Thank you so much for joining us today. Economists say that Ghana is facing the worst economic crisis in a generation. Now, is this a result of mismanagement of the country's resources, or is it, as the government says, a combination of factors out of their control? And then just when we were recovering, we had the, the global crisis emanating from the Russian-Ukrainian um, war, right. where there was a lot of, still a lot of um, economic disruption, supply chain disruptions and everywhere. But just in perspective, the three years preceding the COVID pandemic, Ghana's economy was growing at an average rate of 7%. Yofi Grant is the chief executive officer at Ghana Investment Promotion Center. He joins me in studio together with the country's chief tourism officer to talk about the causes of the economic crisis and what the country is doing to attract more investment and tourism into the country. South Africans are celebrating their Rugby World Cup victory as thousands of Springbok fans welcomed their team at the airport. I love the poker, I love South Africa, and I love everyone. I love South Africa. And what does it take to build and run a social enterprise? We chat with Dimathalia Redick about her work running Team Dima Global. She also talks to us about her organization's social impact programs in Kenya. But first, let's hear from you, our listeners. We asked, what is the role of the UN in resolving the multiple conflicts we see around the world? Here is what you said. My name is Namubiru Babra, Kampala, Uganda. UN, I think it, it's doing its job. Yeah, but as you know, in this world, you can't keep security everywhere. You can keep this side, then strikes happen in another side. Me personally, personally I don't see, like, UN is it's not doing anything. Like, first of all, when you look at the war of Ukraine and, uh, and Russia, their main, when you look at it, they have failed to settle down the cases, like to table all the members together such that they can find a resolu- resolution. Yeah, that's my opinion. And also the same on the Israel and in the Pal- Palestine. My name is Navutundo Gloria. Basically, I think the UN is trying very much to do its job because uh, security-wise, it is assisting nations that are going under wars. They are providing for the refugees uh, what to eat. Um, according to the actions they did in Israel of giving food to those Palestinians, I think it's doing a good job. Yeah, in most cases it depends. It's whereby you will find that uh, UN wants to intervene within, but uh, one of the countries is still contradicting with the UN's what roles. Yeah? So it will prevent UN from functioning. Many thanks to all of you for contributing to our question of the week. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. Let's start off in Ghana. The West African nation of 32 million people is considered the second largest economy in the ECOWAS region. The country's economy depends primarily on gold and cocoa, among other natural resources. It also has a vibrant tourism industry that, according to reports, generated around $2.5 billion last year in 2022. However, Ghana is also facing what economists say is the worst economic crisis in a generation. The World Bank reports that 
The country has yet to recover from the impact of the global pandemic and the war in Ukraine, which has caused economic shocks like high inflation, increases in the cost of living, and a sharp decline in the value of the local currency. Others argue that the economic crisis is the result of mismanagement of the country's immense natural resources. Joining me in studio to talk about what the government of Ghana is doing to get out of the crisis are Akwasi Ajeman, the CEO of Ghana Tourism Authority, and Yofi Grant, he's the chief executive officer at Ghana Investment Promotion Center. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Now, Ghana has been in the news. It's been in the news for tourism because so many people are traveling to Ghana these days. Uh, but also, most recently, we're talking about the economy has been struggling. <laughs> what are some of the things that you're doing to bring the economy up? Mm. Well, I mean, very interesting question. And I guess the reason why Ghana has come in the news is that... Um, if I may paraphrase uh, Pliny the Elder, the old Greek philosopher who says, out of Africa, always something new. Mm. It's like out of Ghana, always something, something new. And Ghana has always sort of held the Africa flag as high as it's held its own flag. Mm. So if anything happens in Ghana, it's, it's news. I mean, it's news. Um, the other places in Africa that things happen, everyone say, oh, well, we don't know them. So oh, we, it's not. But um, the important thing is that, yes, um, we did suffer a bit of, hit an economic hubris from the pandemic where we had to spend quite a bit of money to make sure that lives were preserved. But it, it had dividends at that time. And then just when we were recovering, we had the, the global crisis emanating from the Russian-Ukrainian um, war right. where there was a lot of, still a lot of um, economic disruption, supply chain disruptions and everywhere. But just in perspective, the three years preceding the COVID pandemic, Ghana's economy was growing at an average rate of 7%. It was then one of the fastest That's in the world. even higher than the U.S. at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was way above um, African average and global averages. And then, of course, even in the year of the pandemic, Ghana was one of maybe one of 27 nations globally that did not go into recession. And then when the recovery started, uh, 2020, 2020, 2021, uh, my economy grew at some five point something percent. And then, of course, the war hit and then all the recovery methods and, and mechanisms that were put in place then had to, you know, had to reverse mm. um, because trade, of course, was curtailed. There was a lot of trade disruption. Um, and, of course, the expenditure we had incurred, which we, we expected to get back from taxes, was not realized. So, I mean, and many other countries faced it. We had hyperinflation. We had exchange rate issues. Um, and government's ability to rack up revenues were also, you know, um, had a bit of tough time. So earlier you said you were in conversation with the IMF and, mm -hmm. other, and other institutions. What kind of conditions are they asking you? Are they, are they... Well, I mean, the, the, what I've gotten to realize is that the IMF doesn't really give you conditions. You, you create your program and then they go through the program and see if the program would work. And based on that, then they give you some support. Mm. And if they, of course, they think that you're just collecting money from them to give to people to buy alcohol, they will not give you the money. Mm. So it won't work. So very often, um, I think the focus on what conditions um, needs to be tailored rather into what remedies 
um, do you get from the IMF? Or will you get or can you get from the IMF? They often worry that, you know, they will be asking you to tighten your belt. And when they say tightening the belt, we know that the common man will, will be ultimately the person suffering. Yes, I understand that and I agree. But sometimes it's very difficult when you're in certain problems. Um, you need to tighten your belt. I mean, if it's my home mm. and I'm spending lavishly and I can't anymore because I do not have the revenue source to do that, I have to cut out certain patterns of behavior. Um, maybe certain expenditures that I planned, I have to now rethink and maybe reschedule or delay or probably cut out altogether. I mean, Ghana has spent money on some very profound you know, policy initiatives like the senior high school, free senior high school policy. It's quite expensive on the country's yes, budget. It's expensive to educate people for free. For free, yes. yes. <laughs> but the the dividends you are going to get in the medium Ultimately, to yes. long term are phenom- they out they definitely outshine the cost. And I, I keep saying that with that policy, in the medium term, the minimum education of the average Ghanaian will be high school education. Now when you compare it to countries that have, you know, left you know, high on the development agenda and the transformation agenda, you realize the impact of education. I mean, we are seeing that in Rwanda. Mm. We saw that we've seen that in, in Korea. We've seen that even in China, you know. Mm. And so you're, so you're basically investing for the future. Absolutely. absolutely. And that's cost us a bit, you know. Mm. So by the in, president, in the short term, there's going to be some pain. There's going to be run. pain in the future. That's what the president said. Mr. Ajiman, let's talk you, about yes. the, the role tourism is playing in kind of closing this revenue gap. Uh, what are you doing with uh, your organization, with your institution, in terms of bringing in more revenue? To, to I think, thank you. Uh, I think that um, tourism, I always say, is the lowest hanging fruit that we have. Because Ghana is blessed with so many natural uh, tourism sites, attractions, and, um, and so it's easy for us to promote tourism. I mean, compared to countries that have now to uh, have man-made infrastructure we have it we have so many waterfalls we have our culture itself is attractive uh, we have the warmth of the people we have landscapes that really uh, are, are things that people want to come and see and so using tourism as a catalyst for business uh, survival and growth we've been working very closely with uh, the GIPC with other agencies to promote Ghana as a destination um, one of the things we've done is to look at the numbers look at where people are coming from and currently the United States is our number one um, uh, inbound destination which so, explains why you're here that's why we're here yes this is upfront on the voice of America we're chatting with Yofi Grant the chief executive officer at Ghana Investment Promotion Center we also joined in studio with by Akwasi Ajeman, the CEO of Ghana Tourism Authority. Uh, Mr. Yofi, can you share some success stories or examples of uh, what you would say significant uh, foreign investments in Ghana and their impact on the local economy and on job creation? Well, I mean, I, I can give you one very recent one where um, it's a JV between a Chinese um, um, Chinese funding and Ghanaian. It's, it's called the Centu Oil Refinery. It's all going to, when it's done, it's commissioned in the next few months. It's going to be a $2 billion investment um, that will create significant jobs for the young people. Um, but that's private investment. I think I mentioned about the, um, the sen- free senior high school education thing, which is a major government public investment, um, which will yield significant dividends in the future. But those are some of the few things. There's infrastructure. Um, we've seen um, some infrastructure, you know, done and government you did mention sustainability mm. 
tourism sustainability. I mean, Ghana has um, actually activated a program where every year we have a tree planting exercise yes, under so. the patronage of the of the president. Last year, I know they planted uh, 20 million trees. I mean, I planted five and I've given them names. And so I go to, and it's an exciting thing mm. that is happening. But also, um, the fact that we are resource rich means that we have to look at sustainable um, investment in even uh, mining. And those are some of the initiatives that we are doing. Um, but beyond that, there, there are quite a number of very interesting things. Ghana is, uh, is at the forefront of ecotourism on the continent. Um, and so there is a lot of protection for flora and fauna and investment into developing the flora and fauna. I mean, I, you probably don't know this. We have one of the largest um, butterfly, natural butterfly, you know, yes, reserves in the world. Wow. Where you can find thousands of different species of butterfly in Ghana. Wow. We have the Bobing Feming um, Monkey Park, where it's the whole village is monkeys only, you know. And you have different... Um, Different monkeys, uh, you know, um, I would say species of monkeys in there that you, you that are natural. And then, of course, um, you perhaps for us the most important thing is on the cultural heritage bit. Out of the sixty-seven forts that were built in Africa during the ignoble uh, ignoble slave trade, I am told some thirty-four to thirty-seven are in Ghana. And preservation is a major bit, of, but also repositioning them as opportunities, I mean, sites mm. for people to see. And on the back of the year of return, we've seen a flood of people from the, what I call the global African, whether it's North America, whether it's the Caribbean or Latin America, come through to a place like the Cape Coast Castle, the Almina Castle, where a lot of slaves were carried. Jamestown. Jamestown, yes. yeah, to Jamestown. Yes, I, I visited Jamestown. I, I have to say, unfortunately, that 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 uh, that area was not fully has not been fully well. It hasn't. <laughs> it hasn't. There's a major project called the Accra Marine Drive, yes. which is going to redevelop that whole place. I mean, that whole 241 acres of the front, the beachfront of Accra, mm. and um, we make modernize it, but also make it a, an attractive place for Africans and people out of the Africa to come mm. to see Africa. To see Africa. To see Africa. Africa in Ghana. Ghana is Africa. (laughs) Both of you, for our radio listeners, just say both of you are rocking some beautiful designs and they're traditional. This one, yours, uh, Mr. Grant, is contemporary. It looks like a a shirt from Gucci or any of these. (laughs) Yeah, but we don't have the Edincra symbols. We have have them emblazoned or embossed with what they call the Edincra symbols, which were... um, um, icons and, and marks that uh, the chiefs used to convey certain um, uh, messages on our values as people. And you, I, I was very, very, <laughs> I was surprised that you actually identified uh, Jinyami. Yes, Jinyami right there. Yes, yes. Jinyami. Yes. Uh, except God. Yes, God except God does yes. it. You, know, you can't do it. I, this, I got this in Ghana. Too. Yes, yes, I just saw that. <laughs> I got this Next in, time yes. you're there, we should give you something. Absolutely. Like I, royal. I, I bought a whole, I, I, I need to get the royal one. I, I didn't get the royal <laughs> okay, treatment. So we'll I think get, we'll I, get you this one. you go. But indeed, I mean, for us, having highlighted Ghana, I think the bigger picture for us, once again, is the African continent. Mm, yeah. I mean, I I have been to um, Rwanda, I've been to Kigali, and one of my highlights was I'm going to see gorillas, mountain gorillas mm. in their natural habitat. Mm. You know, there are many people who come, and um, the, your ambassador who was in Ghana was a very good friend. 
and she's been to almost she went to almost everywhere in Ghana Mm. and she used to tell me about places that I haven't been you know and we have people from South Africa we go to South Africa you have people from Botswana from Egypt Morocco Tunisia Mm. you see Africa is culturally rich and we as we speak of Ghana culture and marketing for tourism I, I think the, the importance of the whole continent can never be overemphasized. What Ghana we want to do is to position ourselves as an entry point also into the continent. Into the continent. That was Akwasi Ajaman, the CEO of Ghana Tourism Authority, and Yofi Grant, the Chief Executive Officer at Ghana Investment Promotion Center. They joined me here in studio at The Voice of America. Let's go to South Africa, where thousands of fans welcomed home from France the country's rugby team, the Springboks, following their epic 12-11 final victory over New Zealand. The team will embark on a four-day trophy tour around the country. Springbok fans have been riding high since the historic win, and reporter Tuzo Komalo spoke with some fans about their joy and excitement. Ntando Makubela says rugby is now the top sport for South Africa on the world stage. The guys won and they won like second time, so I'm just happy for them. And because rugby now it's the only thing that we could in, you know, like football, there and there, but rugby is the only sports like we, we could in. Like many Springboks supporters, Cassidy Kruger had shouted himself hoarse. As the celebrations kicked off, Hamza Pahad could barely contain his joy. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa responded to calls from ecstatic rugby supporters to honor the Springboks' achievement. He declared a public holiday on December the 15th to celebrate the win. This is Upfront on The Voice of America. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. VOA Africa presents the latest news about Africa and the world and its news summaries. Africa in Brief airs every day at 400, 500 and 600 UTC. Give us five minutes of your time to be brought up to date. Africa in Brief, your trusted source for news. Welcome back. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. Experts say that the goal of social entrepreneurship is to use business strategies to improve the social and environmental conditions of a community. To achieve their mission, social enterprises often look for funding from foundations and donations from the general public. But this funding model can have a lot of drawbacks and difficulties that could prevent it from succeeding and lasting. However, according to Dimathalia Rizek, the CEO of Team Dima Global, an organization she founded together with her twin sister, as much as the work is difficult, it can also be rewarding. 
From London, I spoke to Dimatalia about the challenges of running a sustainable social enterprise and how organizations work to provide meals and menstrual hygiene products to students in Kenya. We basically build schools, homes and toilets for underprivileged children as well as run educational uh, and um, health programs. So our building projects, this all came about, uh, oh gosh, 10 years ago, I would say, the first time that I'd ever gone on a volunteer trip. Um, I didn't know, like, it was a school thing and my teachers were like, oh, there's a trip to um, Malaysia. Does anyone, has anyone signed up for it? And I was like, oh, I don't know about this, but I go to everything. I do every activity in school. So I basically looked at my twin and I was like, we're signing up for this. You know, we have like this twin telepathy. And then um, we basically went and signed up. And on this trip, there was like... 70 people who signed up but the trick was that we had to raise four thousand pounds each to go on this trip and you had to fundraise um never done that before it was a completely new experience um 35 students basically um applied to go on this you know it, it came down to 35 when they found out that you know four thousand pounds had to be raised and eventually only seven could make the amount including myself and mary um, and obviously when I went there, my life changed completely. I yeah. didn't know, you know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know that people were poor. Like, I didn't know um, how, how, like, we took everything for granted, you know, uh, get, like having a toilet. Um, but we worked on three different projects, which, which was an educational uh, project, um, building a kindergarten and a educational centre, as well as working in the clearing the rainforest. Now, which country was this? This was Malaysia. In Malaysia? Malaysia. Okay. Yeah. And then from then, that's when you got the inspiration to create yes. MDMA Global. Yes. And so, how do yes. you identify the social issues that you want to address? So basically, we focus, the real reason we focus on the uh, building projects is because we can see how much of a change it makes in the community. So, for example, if we have... Uh, if there's no toilet, these kids can't go to school and can't contribute to our feeding. We can't do a feeding program if kids aren't in school. Um, if they're not able to go to the toilet, they can't focus. So it all links together. We see what the community really needs, especially, especially like, for example, in Kenya. Um, the kids run away from school just because they want to... Um, they, they want to go to the toilet. They go and they go to the neighbours and that's really illegal and that's an illegal thing to do. Girls can't... Um, they get their period. They can't... There's no privacy. Um, so... The way we see it is that if we focus it, we narrowed it down to homes, schools and toilets because it's easier to see where afterwards they can come into school and then, you know, they have it, it's there, they can use it and, it, and, it, and it's what they want, it's what they need and what we've been told by the community from the work we do uh, and the data we collect and the surveys we do that this is what they need and that's how we kind of narrow it down mm. um, and it, will be, it just becomes a chain for us. And so you say you work in Kenya right now. That's where your main projects are. How do you yes. measure and track the, 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 the impact that you're having on the ground? So we've always got partners in, in Kenya, which are incredible people that we trust and that work with us and that help us um, sort of um, deliver projects on time. And also from our end, we do all the planning, we do all the work, we do all the fundraising so that the, the, everything can reach the other side and that we can do everything on a... On a sort of proper um, sort of schedule. Um, we report, we evaluate, we monitor, we verify everything with our partners. And we only work with partners that are on the same page as us. So they also want to make that change. They've yeah, also pa- pa- brought the partners that share us. the same values, you mean? 
Yes, yes. Mm. So they basically come to us with these issues. Like you and could these say are local, these are local organisations? These are local organisations and one in particular we work with, they are fantastic in the way they sort of um, report and the way they uh, communicate with us. So that's our main... Uh, and they're registered. That's the most important thing. So everything is very smooth between us. Um, and obviously we can see the... The, uh, what's happening, the improvements and everything, because we get pictures mm. and we're, we get to share those pictures with people who we, you know, sort of donate to us or that are working with us and on social media, so people can see like our actual work. So it's mm. very the most important thing for us is like transparency. Okay. That's the most important thing. How do you fund your your your, your work? Uh, what are some of the key revenue streams for you? So we do uh, lots of fundraising. We do. There's me personally putting in. There's Mary putting in, there's individual um, donations, there's donors, there's um, com- uh, organizations, companies, and they love, whoever wants to support and wants to contribute, we are more than happy for that to be the case. But at the end of the day, we're going to deliver that project no matter what. Well, what kind of innovative business model approach uh, are you using to, to do that? So what we do, we have a very like a particular structure because it's a small organisation. So we have a we have a, a structure where basically we don't make any of the money. The money goes right back into the projects. So whatever is whatever is made, it goes right into the right into the projects. Mm. So, so for example, um, we introduced one of the things we did was um, basically we got. I had this thing when I was fundraising. I was making bracelets and selling those to people like. Um, one called Van Damme. I was selling them. To, I would, they would support the project by buying those bracelets. Miss mm-hmm. USA. Um, I was like literally making sure that people wore these bracelets. And then um, I taught this to the to the to the teachers and the kids. And then we started basically selling um, those bracelets. And then those the kids would get the money, for example, to buy period pads mm-hmm. um, for whatever they needed. Um, they would have that 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 there. So that's one of the things we do in 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 in, in this model that we have. Can yeah. you share maybe a success story or um, a, a significant achievement that you have accomplished? Oh, do you know what? Every I feel like every project is an accomplishment. Being able to feed over a thousand children a month is an accomplishment. Being able to, you know, I think the really sweetest thing was when I when we finished building the the toilet, the first toilet we ever did, and the kids actually danced and sang a song in Swahili with my name in it. I was like crying because it was just so beautiful that, you know, well, like this is how much it means to them mm. and how many like people don't realise how important it is and that, that you know we take so much for granted and it's like wow like that for me was like oh my god that's beautiful like everything has for me like a special meaning and a, if i could i could tell you so many different uh for, di- for so many different uh products mm. but when when they actually say that you're you know you're you're like a hero to them mm. it's like i don't want to be the hero i just want to make sure that things they get what they need because they absolutely deserve it and that they can get their education, and okay. that and that's the most important thing, really. Um, let's go back to your mission a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You said you fund mostly education and health programs. How yes. did you identify these uh, social issues? Uh, that these these are actually the things that you wanted to address. Um, because I felt like uh, the, the first time I got into contact, you know, with something like this was um, I was actually in a, uh, looking for 
um, what I wanted to do. Like, what was it that, you know, Team Team Global, yeah, but what are we going to do? Like, what's this going to be? And then I spoke to someone who was coincidentally in my fencing club, and she said that I knew people that you could talk to, and they are, they, they say that this is what's needed, and this, this is what's needed, and that, and this, and that. So I was like, okay, let me talk to this person. And from then on, I was like, okay, so we could focus on basically feeding these kids. And then we can focus on, um, um, set, uh, you know, menstrual hygiene management because these, this is what the kids need. And also with the building, it's been a dream of mine. I've taken part. I've physically built, you know, an, edu- an educational centre, not all by myself, different with other volunteers, but I could see the impact of that. Even like a kindergarten toilet. So I can see that it makes a massive change, especially when there isn't any of that there. Right, you know? right. Yeah. And finally, Dimatalia, what advice would you have for people who are interested in pursuing this kind of work in social entrepreneurship or creating businesses with a, a positive impact like yours? I would say, look, do it, okay? Because I, you know, you don't need a degree to do it. I mean, I do have a degree in politics and international relations and a master's degree in education, health promotion, international development. But that came later when I realized this is what I want to do. Everything I based off of that. So I just say that do it because you can be one person and you can do as much as you can and you can make a change. It doesn't have to be like massive, you know, the whole world has to see it. No, but you are making a change for a, a one child, two, three. It doesn't matter. You're literally con- con- contributing and making a change. That's what I would say. Just do it 100%. That was Dimatalia Rizk the CEO of Team Dima Global, an organization that does work to provide meals and menstrual hygiene products to young people in Kenya. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to all of you for tuning in. Remember to check us out at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, on Instagram, and on YouTube. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.